Welcome to the Mobile Home Park Mastery Podcast, where you will learn how to identify, evaluate, negotiate, perform due diligence on, finance, turn around and operate mobile home parks. And now, here is your host, the fifth largest mobile home park owner in the United States, Frank Rolf. Don't you get sick and tired of every real estate book and article and show saying real estate's all about location, location, location. Yet here I am doing the same thing. This is Frank Rolf, the Mobile Home Park Mastery Podcast Series. It's our final fifth in our five-part series on lessons learned from failed parks. We're going to be talking about just that, location. I'm going to call this market fails, but it's the same thing. It's location, location, location when it comes to mobile home parks. And the sad news is you cannot succeed if you have a bad location. So let's talk about what makes locations bad and then contrast it that which makes locations good. The first thing, if you ask many lenders what you hate about certain mobile home park locations, it's very simple for them to answer. That is that they hate rural areas. You hear that over and over again. If you talk to 10 banks, what do you hate the most about any mobile home park that you don't do the loan on? They always say, well, it was too rural. What does rural mean exactly? We could look it up on Wikipedia and we find out it means having low population in the surrounding area, typically tied to farmland or agriculture, but that's not always necessarily what the bank is saying. They just don't like areas that don't have that many people around. It can even be an area just outside of a city, which looks kind of not like farmland, but still they consider it too rural. So how do you resolve being rural or not? You go to bestplaces.net. You put in the zip code of the mobile home park, and up will pop the population. Underneath that, though, you'll see a thing that says metro colon, and you hope there's a word on that because then you click on the metro and you get an even bigger amount of population. But sometimes there's markets that have very small populations to begin with, in the hundreds, maybe in the low thousands, and then there's no metro So here's what I think most banks mean. They're very, very concerned about areas that have less than 50,000, perhaps, in population in the metro. And then they're probably not going to do the loan when you get down below, with some banks, 25,000 and under. Now, some banks will go much lower. There's some states they should be going lower in, like Colorado, where you can do really well on tiny populations because the cost of housing is so high. But in most parts of America, most banks are going to start freaking out when your metro population is 25,000 or less. Now, we prefer 100,000 and up. That's our favorite population. But you're not truly rural, typically, if you're in a town of 50,000 or 40,000. But at some point, you do become too small. And when you become too small, lots of bad things happen. Your phone doesn't ring much for new customers. You don't have a very diverse employment market. But most importantly in deal killing is you just can't get a loan on it. So having a rural park is one of the first and most basic epic market fails. The next one is that the market itself is just not desirable. Here's your mobile home park. Looks okay on paper. You look on Google Street View. You look on Google Aerial View. Hey, it's a mobile home park. What the heck? But then you come to find out that that school district is not somewhere that most people want to live. Or that area of town is considered blighted and no one wants to go there. How do you figure this out? A test ad. You put a test ad in your largest metro newspaper in Craigslist. You see how many calls you get over a 10-day run. A decent park will pull 20, 30 calls. 
A fantastic park will pull 100 calls, but a terrible park will only pull two or three. So you've got to stay away from not desirable markets. If people don't want to live there, then you're never going to be able to fill your homes or fill your lots. So don't ever buy that. That's, an, again, a very basic market fail. A third one is when single-family and apartment prices are just too low. Well, what's too low mean? Well, let's talk about that for a moment. We like single-family home prices to be roughly $100,000 and up. Why is that? Because most of our customers will never be able to swing buying a $100,000 stick-built home. They don't have the down payment to do it, and they don't have the credit to do it. And it's unlikely in many cases they ever will. On the apartment side, we like our three-bedroom apartment rents to be $1,000 and up. Why is that? Well, in most mobile home parks, the mobile homes are three-bedroom, not two-bedroom. So when you compare your mobile home park to two-bedroom rents, it's not really fair because three-bedroom apartments are much more rare and much more costly. We like those three-bedroom apartment rents to be roughly $1,000 and up. If your three-bedroom apartment rents, however, were $400 a month, which I've seen in Louisiana, that will never work because you have to have demand for affordable housing via contrast with expensive housing. And if all housing is cheap, who needs a mobile home park? If you go to some areas of America where single-family home and apartment rents are so very cheap, like some areas of southern Illinois, the problem is the parks can't function because the mortgage on that $40,000 home is probably less than the lot rent in the mobile home park. And the few people you would have in the mobile home park like that are very hard scrabble misfits who are unable to get those inexpensive single family homes or those inexpensive apartment units. So if you do not have expensive stick built housing costs, homes and apartments, then your park is in a epic market fail situation. Fourth, the impact of the climate. Let's not forget, whether you believe in global warming or not, things seem to be changing in the weather and not for the good for certain park locations. First, let's look at flooding. Have we, haven't we seen just amazing flooding over the last few years? It's just incredible from coast to coast. Every major river, stream, lake, everything has been going up in height. As a result, a lot of parks that never had flooding issues were virtually wiped out. Look at Hurricane Harvey. Look at the damage from Hurricane Harvey. You had five feet of rain down in the Houston area. It washed out things in Houston and Austin and many, many things that were downstream of that rainfall. No one could even model five feet of rain. Five feet of rain just doesn't even exist in the real world. But yet, there it was. And will it come again? Probably. We're currently being warned by nearly everybody, a government study that just came out a day ago, that we're going to have increasingly strong weather events. So when you're looking at a mobile home park location that has flooding attached to it, if it's very high water levels already, which is called the BFE, plus base floodplain elevation, then you got to be worried. Bear in mind that mobile homes and water do not get along well together. They have a very acrimonious relationship. So you've got to make sure that your homes are well above, the floor of the home has to be well above that base floodplain elevation called the BFE. The BFE in your park, despite the fact your floodplain is only a foot high, well, then you've probably got two feet to spare, so you'll be okay. But if you're looking at a mobile home park where the BFE is already five feet off the ground, potentially, that would destroy every home in the park. And with the way flooding's going, it could happen at any moment. Look at hurricanes in America. 
We're getting more of them. They're bigger. They're more damaging. We seem to have a killer one almost every year. If you're looking at a mobile home park that's coastal, right in the path of those hurricanes and their storm surge, be very, very concerned. We own some mobile home parks in hurricane areas, but they're far inland. If you're 30 miles inland, you'll be hit with a lot of wind effect, but traditionally not a lot of water effect. The good news is winds are typically insured. Water, in most cases, typically not insured. Look at Hurricane Harvey for a minute. 200 billion of damage, only 20 billion of that insured. 180 billion of it not insured. There's nobody coming in. There's no Daddy Warbucks to come in now and give people money to fix it. So that's why those issues are very, very bad. And if you're in the Southwest and even South parts of America, you need to watch out for the drought. Not because your park will necessarily run out of water, although it could, because it may change the entire specter of agricultural jobs. We've known of mobile home parks that have been ruined because the key employer had to move because they, uh, for example, were a meat processing plant and they could not feed the cows because of drought. So just be very wary of the impact of climate on your location and make sure to stay away from areas that might turn into epic market fails simply because the way the weather is changing. This next one is big, and that's one-horse towns. We've written many, many articles. I've done many, many speeches on the fact that it's very, very risky for any mobile home park owner to look at buying a park that has one main employer. That lack of diversity can be hugely damaging to your investment dollars. Look at Bartlesville, Oklahoma, for example, the home of Phillips Petroleum, or at least it was. It's an entire town with high-rise buildings all predicated on the fact that Phillips was going to keep their employment strong and pay those bills. And then one day Phillips pulled out. I haven't been to Bartlesville since Phillips pulled out, but it's got to be a bloodbath there economically. Because when I was there, when Phillips was doing well, every single job in the town related to Phillips. And even the jobs at Dairy Queen really related to Phillips because without Phillips there, there was no one there to buy those strawberry sundaes. So what does it mean? You've got to have a place with economic diversity. The three best forms of economic diversity and employment, in our opinion, are education, healthcare, and government jobs. Those are the three key ones. We don't like having one large private sector employer. Now, we're okay with one large education, healthcare, or government employer. If you're looking at a park in a college town with a big college, like Urbana, Illinois, where you have University of Illinois there, and it has 50,000 people in the college, and that's by far number one, that's okay because colleges don't ever shut down. They don't ever lay off. The same as if you had a giant regional hospital like the Mayo Clinic, or if you had a giant army base, which is, falls under government. Those situations are okay to invest in because that's really a pretty dependable source of jobs. But if you've got a, a town built around one private sector employer, let's say snapper mowers, I would never want to bank on that. What if Snapper moves their production to Mexico? What if Snapper falls on hard times because there's a new mower company and their mower is no longer the best? In many cases in those one-horse towns, you're really better off buying stock in that main employer. Just about the same level of risk. So we try and avoid that because we find that a lot of markets who become so concentrated on one employer can lead to epic market fails when something happens to that employer and they either pull out or they decline in their economic fortunes. 
Finally, on epic market fails, stay away from redlined states, redlined activities. And by that, I mean by redline things the banks just won't lend on simply because of the stereotype in their mind that it's too risky. Two states immediately come to mind, Louisiana and Mississippi. There's a lot of lenders out there that don't do those two states. They don't do Louisiana because it's on Napoleonic law, which I don't even fully understand what that means, but it means enough that a lot of banks don't want to learn how to do it or how to write the documents and they won't make loans there. Mississippi, the problem is that it's just considered the economy there to be very, very weak. So as a result, a lot of banks say, well, we don't get many loan applications in Mississippi anyway, so let's just not make any loans there. I will never forget when years ago, about a decade ago, I went to get a loan on a park in Oklahoma because that time Oklahoma was a red line state, but I didn't even know it. I was approved for the loan. I got a position to closing and literally the day before closing, I get a call from the loan officer saying he has some bad news that the bank president has just announced they will not make any more loans in Oklahoma and therefore will not close on my loan the next day. I had to jump on a plane and fly out to the bank. I met with the head of the bank and convinced him to go ahead and do my loan that I'd never bring him another one. And he agreed if I put even more amounts down, could have been a complete disaster. So again, there's some states, there's some cities out there that lenders have redlined, whether it's hidden or not. And you don't want to be having to battle areas that they don't like making loans in. Another one would be, for example, oil and gas areas. Some of these shale regions, particularly now that gas prices are going down, you'll find even more pushback from lenders on certain areas of oil and gas production. Stay away from those areas because if you can't get a loan, then A, you won't be able to renew your loan or get a loan to begin with, and B, no one will be able to buy from you later on. Now, the biggest example of market fail, market decline, used to be Detroit, but Detroit has now seemingly hit bottom. I guess things couldn't get much worse. They're actually now starting to have positive job formation, and there's some stats on Detroit that are becoming okay, but the bottom line is don't get caught in these cycles of locations that are on the decline, because there's no worse market fail than a market that's so bad that it's redlined and no one will even make a loan there. Again, this is Frank Roth, the Mobile Home Park Mastery Podcast Series. Hope you enjoyed this five-part series on lessons learned from failed parks, and we'll be back again soon. Thank you for listening to the Mobile Home Park Mastery Podcast. Be sure to visit us at mhpmastery.com to subscribe to the show, read our show transcriptions, and access all of our great information on mobile home park investing. 